So hello and welcome to episode 13 of Cricket Scorers Untallied. My name is Sudrin Quarter and as usual with me today I have uh, Brian Rodwell. Hello Brian. Hi Sue. And Julia Farman. Hello Jules. Hi Sue and Brian and everyone else. So today uh, I've actually been scoring a game of cricket which is which is great. I'm on day two of a four-day game with the return to county cricket and the first in a series of matches called the Bob Willis Trophy which is replacing the uh, the county championship. So almost the same regulations as county championship but they've been tweaked a little um we've only got 90 overs in a day which is great because we finish a little earlier uh instead of 96 that's to allow for all the um hygiene breaks that you need um so still the same hours of play they just have to get through fewer overs Uh, and there's a few other tweaks beside but that's that's the main one um so before I talk about some other differences in that, uh, Jules and Brian, have you done any scoring uh, today or recently? Unfortunately not. No, I still have a, a no cricket scoring. And my first game oh. is this Thursday, which I'm uh, oh, good looking forward to greatly. So where would so you be? I will be at uh, St Lawrence and Highland Court Cricket Club, which is just outside of Canterbury, um, scoring for MCC versus St Lawrence and Highland Court. Oh, wonderful. Oh, yeah. Good luck with that. Thank you. How, how about you, Jules? So I scored our first full match yesterday for Old Wimbledonians in the Surrey Challenge Cup. And it was decided on the final ball of the match. Two runs were needed to win. And uh, the striking batsman got run out. It went straight through to the keeper that went to take a run. And yeah, run out. Really dramatic ending. And the team that Old Wimbledonians beat are two divisions higher. So it was quite the oh, coup. Wow. wow, brilliant. And did you have um, your wicketkeeper back or from the West Indies? No, so he was with us um, two, no, three years ago now. So we do have a new wicketkeeper. Ah. It's just nice to be back and then have the discussions at the end. Although I did get one of our key players. We had a lot of incidences yesterday. Um, and I did manage to run him out, even though he was not out at the end. So I had to do some editing and play cricket afterwards. <laughs> that caused a bit of a stir afterwards with fines. <laughs> <laughs> it happens to us all. Yeah, it does. Well, there have been a few other incidents um, going on in, in the cricket uh, that's being played, uh, both at county level and, and nationally. Um, so in the ODI that that was played yesterday between England and Ireland, um, it was noticed that the third umpire um, has been calling all the nobles um, and that that means there's a delay between them being put through from the the third umpire to the on-field umpire who then has to signal it back to the scorers, um, which means that they've got to be looking for a long time uh, so normally you would see the call a no ball uh, which according to the laws of cricket it should be called and signalled at the time it happens and then repeated for the scorers so you've usually seen that a no ball is going to be signalled to you uh, and you're ready and waiting for it but in a lot of cases the scorer would have no idea that that no ball is about to be signalled and you'd see play being uh, well, the ball go dead, the play's finished for that delivery, 
you'd be recording whatever happened on it and not necessarily still looking at the field of play for a, a very late noble signal. Did either of you see any of that yesterday? I did, yes, indeed. I watched watched a fair bit of it. Um, yeah, there were the noble signals were quite well, obviously going to be delayed. Um, but I felt I did feel sorry for the scorers because there was one, there was one ball which went down the leg side uh, to the boundary, um, which most of us scorers would have automatically thought that's five wides. Let's just wait. Sorry, four wides plus the penalty. Just, <laughs> just waiting for the signal. And all of a sudden, they got a signal of uh, no ball and buys. Oh right! So, so which uh, kept people, kept scorers on their toes. I think yeah. yesterday. I'm just trying to work this out. So, how do you know that that it's a no ball? So you put a dot in the book, and all of a sudden, you see this arm come out. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's just been a delay after after the ball's been bowled, and I think it's. I'm not sure it's the third up. It might be the TV umpire that's actually looking at the. Yeah. Uh, actually just looking at the front foot all the time. There was yeah. one yesterday that was very, very marginal and the um, it was held, the play was held for probably 10, 15, 20 seconds while they adjudicated on it, which, uh, which yeah, it looked, it looked a little strange. Mm. I think David Lloyd made a very good point to say, while it's a good innovation, um, these guys have got to where they are uh, um, their umpiring skills um, through you know through good field craft, and now all of a sudden their best judgment has been taken away from them. Yeah, yeah. Whereas a club I, umpire has to deal with absolutely everything. They do. Yeah, that's very true. They haven't got the benefit of all this um, TV replays and and yeah decision review systems. Mm. But uh, I also think that a lot of the regulations get made without any thought at all for the scorers. And okay, the scorers are just there to record what happens. You're not going to make a regulation uh, that's going to help or a scorer. But I think I think you've got to remember the effect that it has on other people. So um, I don't know, the, the, maybe there needs to be some way of signalling. Was there a, a soft signal that, or, or a, a pre-signal, Brian, that you saw? That would tell the scorers that to wait and look for another signal. No, not at all. I mean, I've um, having I've actually worked with one of the umpires before. Uh, there was David Milnes on his uh, oh, yeah. on his debut yesterday, and he always has a habit of rather than stopping the umpire, stopping the incoming bowler by putting an arm out, he tends to just move across into their way. Mm. It was it was obvious that something was happening at that case. Uh, I have to say, with your thing about the, the soft signal, there's no soft signal. I did do a game at Lords a couple of years ago where they actually trialled this in a one-day international. Oh. And it was awkward. It wasn't too bad because we had a warning that it was going to happen. Right. Where it got a little tricky was the last ball of the over. Because as a scorer, ordinarily you go, last ball of the over, dot, do you want to, win? Do you want to end the over? Yes, please. Yes. New bowler in done and all of a sudden you look up and find a no ball signal uh, looking at you that was a little tricky but it takes a little getting used to yeah i guess you would get used to it but but yeah i just i think somehow you need to give a little bit of help for the scorers somewhere yes agreed agreed and on a similar vein today uh in the county game that i was doing um 
I missed the the new ball signal because um, the umpires are not allowed to handle the ball in any way at the moment. Um, but I'm used to looking at the umpires for the new ball signal. Um, and a new ball could be taken at 90 overs and it, it wasn't. So at the end of every over, I'm looking at the two umpires and nobody's waving a ball at me. So let's move on. Um, and, and as you say, Brian, you've got things to do at the end of the over. Who's bowling the next, um, who's bowling this over and, and checking who's on strike and all these sort of things at the end of the over. Uh, and it's like, why is the captain waving at me from the field of play? Well, he was doing the new ball signal because the players are the ones who can handle the ball. And I, I wasn't expecting that at all. And I think it would have just been helpful to have been told that at the start. You know, by the way, the new ball signal, when it comes, will come from the captain and not from the umpires. And the umpire had to get on the walkie-talkie to us to say... New ball's been taken. You're not signal. You know, you're not acknowledging the signal. Well, because we don't normally acknowledge when a captain waves at us. <laughs> uh, so yeah, there are lots of of little changes going on at the moment that could trip the scorers up. But at least there's cricket being played. Yay! Yay! Indeed. I was at Bristol, uh, where. Gloucestershire were hosting Worcestershire, Worcestershire being my team. Um, and normally that was fine. The scorers go with their teams to the away matches. But this year, um, to save on travel um, and people, the amount of people that are staying away, the teams have been asked not to take their scorers with them. But I'm very lucky in that I actually live sort of halfway between Worcester and Bristol. Uh, and therefore, um, I was scoring the match on behalf of Gloucestershire, even though it's my team, if that makes sense. So Gloucestershire have to find, have to provide two scorers. So at the moment, each county has to provide two scorers. Um, but while that was going on, there are teams at the moment, counties who can't play at their home venue because there's um test matches going on at uh down in hampshire so they can't use the aegeus bowl they can't use old trafford because there are internationals going on up there and there are um additional restrictions at the moment on places like leicestershire so leicestershire as a town is in lockdown um because of covid uh, regulations and so Lancashire are playing Leicestershire. Neither can play at home. Um, so they are at the moment playing in Worcestershire. Um, uh, but So there are two local Worcestershire scorers who, are, who have got that game instead of either the Lancashire or the Leicestershire scorers. But there was an incident in that game um, that some of you may have seen um, on the live streaming from that game. So we had five penalty runs awarded to the... Bat inside. Uh, did either of you see that today? Yeah, and he took the player out, didn't he? <laughs> yes, it was quite vicious. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to just explain what you saw then, Jules? Yeah. So it was Dieter Klein, who was the bowler, was bowling to Danny Lamb of Lancashire. The batter simply defended and batted the ball back. Dieter Klein picked up the ball 
and went to throw it at the stumps. But unfortunately, there was a there was a dunny lamb in the way who got absolutely pinged with a cricket ball. So it was sort of quite the incident. We'll probably retweet it on our on our um, yeah. channel. But uh, yeah, there were penalty runs as a result of it. Yeah, I think it was law 42.2 and a level two offence. Um, so uh, penalty runs to the bat inside. So lots of things going on in, in cricket at the moment that the poor scorers have to cope with. So with the game, uh, the Lancashire-Leicestershire game being played at New Road at the moment, there are quite often tournaments held at these county grounds Um when the counties aren't playing there. And one of the tournaments that gets played um, annually in Worcestershire um, is one of the disability games where the England disability side often play um, world tournaments there. So they hold them, they hold the group stages in outgrounds around Worcestershire with the final at New Road. And earlier this week, I caught up with two scorers who um, have been lucky enough to score that kind of cricket for the last few years. So let's listen now to um, Thelma and Nathan telling us about scoring at disability cricket. So with me this afternoon, I have um, some people who've scored disability cricket. So I'd like to introduce you to um, Thelma and Nathan. In fact, I'll get them to introduce themselves. Um, so welcome, Thelma. Tell me a little bit about yourself, please. Hi, I'm Thelma Eden. Um, I'm first 11 scorer for uh, St Asaf Cricket Club in North Wales, um, which I've scored there for, for three years. Prior to that, I scored for Western in Cheshire and did an awful lot of scoring with the Staffordshire youth teams at under 15s, under 17s level. Um, and that's kind of how I got into scoring disability cricket. So also we have Nathan. Hello, Nathan. Hello, Sue. I'm uh, Nathan Bradley. I've uh, been scoring now for nine years. <laughs> Feels a long time. I scored for uh, Norland Orange uh, Cricket Club, first eleven in the Birmingham and District Premier Cricket League. And I've also, this past winter, albeit COVID has put it on hold, been appointed as first team scorer for Shropshire County Cricket Club in the new National Counties Cricket Association competition. And also done various other scoring again at youth level and MCC and all the rest of it. How did you both start scoring disability cricket? Well, as I mentioned before, I was scoring for Staffordshire under 17s and development. And one of the sort of games I was asked to score for them was against the England physical disability team. And not really knowing what this was all about, um, I'd so, well, my gosh, scoring, you know, an England team, wow. And that must have been back in ooh, 2015, I think. Um, and it was two T20 matches. I really didn't know what to expect. And when I turned up, I was the only scorer. Um, so despite uh, it being the England team, it's 
and it is an, it is the, the national team. Then they've got all the coaches and analysts and so on and so forth. Getting scorers for them is is challenging as they move around the country. Um, this was for them um, a practice game prior to them flying out to Bangladesh mm. to play um, in an international competition. Um, so I, I scored in in the score box a normal t20 game and i thought wow this is amazing there's guys here with one leg with one arm and they are playing proper cricket and mm. um, so after the game had finished i, I got chatting to the coach the, the the team manager and said look you know this is I want to be part of this. It's amazing. You know, please, you know, if you ever need a scorer, these are my details. Uh, and that's kind of how I, I started with it. Well done. Well done for being proactive and getting in there as a scorer. That's great. So, Nathan, how about you? How did you get into scoring this kind of cricket? Well, for me, it's a little bit difficult. I mean, uh, as you and Thelma know, Sue, but a lot of listeners won't, I'm actually a wheelchair user myself. I have cerebral palsy and I use a wheelchair. It doesn't hinder my ability to score in any way. You know, I score score at high levels. And I got uh, an email out of the blue uh, in 2018 from John Overton, who was at Lord's at the time who said, uh, we need a scorer for uh, the the physical disability cricket international T20 tournament, which used to be held in Worcestershire, which is, of course, close to where I live. So, of course, I said, let me think about it. Okay, I've thought about it. Uh, Yes, (laughs) yes, I would definitely be interested in doing it. So I turned up at Barnard's Green on the first day not really knowing what to expect. I'd, you know, I'd been sent regulations, and we'd had all the pre-tournament meetings, but not really knowing what to expect. And I met Thelma, who was immediately lovely and immediately put me at ease and went, mm. you know, it's okay, it's, you know, this is fine. I scored the first match, which was England against Pakistan, if memory serves. If you've ever been to Barnard's Green, it's a tiny, tiny ground where, I mean, lots of runs can be scored very, very quickly. And the Pakistani opening batsman made 121 not out and absolutely destroyed the ball to all parts of the ground and the car park and everywhere else he could reach. And at the end of this, I thought, wow, this is something I really, really want to be involved in. I hadn't realised that was your first match, Nathan. I hadn't realised that. That was my very first physical design. I had no idea what to expect. Ian Martin, who is ECB head of uh, disability cricket, had said to me, oh, you'll come through and you'll meet Thelma and, you know, she'll help you along the way with, you know, with anything that you need to know. And I'm thinking, oh, good. So I'd meet a new colleague and I'm thinking, I hope that we get along. (laughs) And of course, she was immediately lovely and uh, put me completely at ease. And we scored together all week we were very very busy but it was an amazing week so uh, what is for 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 my benefit and for anybody else out there what is disability cricket it's cricket it's cricket as you know it you reckon you would instantly recognize it there's apart from the blind cricket the rules and regulations are exactly the same as 
ordinary club cricket or county mm. cricket or whatever um, with the with well with one or two minor tweaks so in the physical disability cricket for example um, because these are guys as I said earlier with one arm one leg or they're recovering from cancer or you know they've, they've got some kind of physical disability some some players find it hard if not near near impossible to run um so those players are allowed to nominate before the game starts a nominated runner mm. so it's not a case of being injured during the game they are allowed a runner up front but they have to be nominated on the team sheet in advance there's also learning disability cricket so people who have got learning disabilities they they play normal cricket so blind physical disability learning disability there's deaf cricket but again normal normal rules apply so from a scorer's perspective there isn't an awful lot that's different really apart from recognizing those those slight tweaks what would you add to that nathan i was invited last year to score uh it was a combined england disabilities 11 mm. so a uh, visually impaired uh, physically disabled uh hearing impaired 11 mm. against an ECB staff 11 oh, yeah. and uh, in the 11 was a player I recognized from my time in Devon when I used to score in Devon a few years ago his name was George Greenway and he was an opening bowler at a Premier League club now mm. I had no idea that he had you know, an ailment of some sort. I didn't know what his ailment was in any way, shape or form because when he bowled at this Premier League club, I mean, he bowled with great pace, great control. I found out on this day that he was deaf and in 20 overs, in a 20-over game, I believe the disability 11 racked up something like 230 for three um, on the nursery ground at Lords against this ECB staff 11. Um <laughs> And then George Greenway comes on to bowl and obviously knowing how quick he is, dis disability wicketkeeper stands about uh, 25 yards back <laughs> and the ball whizzes past the outside edge of this ECB staff member and thuds into the gloves of the wicketkeeper at about head height, 25 yards back. And you could see... <laughs> Everybody in the pavilion who were watching, the nursery pavilion sort of looked out and went, what on earth was that? <laughs> um, the ECB staff 11 actually went around twice batting. And I think a lot of people who were there that day just watching from the ECB were markedly shocked at the standard of cricket that was displayed by these people with various disabilities, be it physical, be it visual impairments or hearing impairments. If you haven't seen it, please, please, when there is a tournament on, try and get to see it. I think one of the things you mentioned uh, that you'd come across this guy before and you hadn't realised he had a disability. A lot of these players, if not all of them, whether they be physical, disab physical disability, learning disability or, or hearing disability, they all play Saturday club cricket. Oh, wow. 
So if you're trying to, how do I get into scoring these? A sort of a term, the, the players are all integrated into ordinary club yeah. cricket teams. So um, there isn't, like, unlike with the, the blind cricket where they have their own bespoke leagues, mm. there are a few bespoke games and leagues at sort of regional levels. That's where they, they tend to get they'll get all the, the people who are sort of physical disability cricketers together and have a mini league. But predominantly, these 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 guys are all playing at, at club cricket on a Saturday. So that is why you don't know. That, yeah. That's why you don't really notice. Yeah, I might have come across some myself without, without having any yeah. idea. And a lot of them are coaches as well. They a, are. A, lot, a, lot of the, a lot of the lads were heavily involved with Lord's Taverners and uh, Super Ones uh, cricket, you know, helping the youngsters with disabilities to come through the ranks. Oh, that's really good. Yeah. Now, you mentioned runners and having to nominate them first. Yes. In the laws of cricket that I understand, um, uh, if you have a runner, that person needs to be in your team anyway. And, and yes. hopefully somebody who's already batted yes. and attired in the same manner as you. So is that the same in this cricket or do you have people who are just there to run? No, they they are part of the team. We were at uh, it was Kidderminster last uh, last year, wasn't it? In, in the, the World, World Series, yeah. We knew that there were only two players on this team that had nominated the fact that they needed a runner, and this guy went out to bat. There was already one runner out there for the one batsman who was not out. A wicket fell, and another batsman went out to bat. Now, it wasn't the another batsman who had nominated that he needed a runner. Two seconds later, another guy walks out behind him as if he's going to run. And Thelma and I look at one another and go, hang on a minute. Mm. So we quickly looked at our team cards and went, no, no, this isn't right. This, isn't. this, guy, this guy didn't have a runner. He hadn't no. nominated. No. Walkie-talkie to the umps. We have, a, we have a problem here, umpires. <laughs> yeah, you know, and quite sort of trying to gently do it and say, actually, this isn't right, you know, this can't be. Um, and obviously then the runner was sent back and all was fine. Um, and then later on, the other batsman who did, who did have a runner with him was going was gonna to come out, but then they sent somebody out to run who hadn't already batted. Now, of course, in still in disability cricket, it's still got to be, as long as it's not your opening bat, obviously, then the regulation is different, but it's still got to be somebody who's already batted. So this time I got on the radio and said, um, I'm, I'm afraid I've got another little problem. That guy hasn't batted yet, who's coming out to run. Um, technically not allowed so they sent that runner back <laughs> and had to get somebody who'd already batted to come out it's, to be fair it's that is more of an exception than a rule it doesn't happen but you've just got to be aware of it i think yeah and clothing as well as you, you you know we all know you all have to be dressed exactly the same as that which is which is true for for uh, physical disability cricket uh, uh, um however we got to a point quite early on in the World Series last summer, 
mm. where it was got very, very confusing as to who was the batsman and who were the runners. Because at this point in time, there was two batsmen and two runners. Oh. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> and they, and they, so we, we, we made a competition decision. I say we, the umpires, made a competition decision that the runners should wear a bib. Ah, so that they idea. so they could tell the difference between mm. who was the runner and, and so they knew where they were looking and and it and it actually it helped enormously for us as well so that we mm. you know we would know we were looking at the right person you know for run outs yeah. and things like that and because the, the these these games and um, Nathan men- mentioned Kidderminster these international tournaments we tend to be held in and around Worcester because of the facilities and the new um indoor cricket center at Worcester Worcester University that the the, the so that's why Worcester's chosen oh. it's central the facilities are there the the building rapports with the local um teams uh, local grounds at Kidderminster places like that um, because there's such a, a huge contingent of scorers and analysts and opta, but it's a it's a local cricket club. Mm. We haven't got the facilities like they have, for example, at New Road, where you could all fit in to the score mm. box at the county ground. So, my one of my jobs in the morning when I t- rock up for these international games is to get my team of helpers, and we construct a great big gazebo so that we can all fit under the gazebo so that's a big difference for a scorer normally normally when I turn up on a Saturday or to do a to get this get my laptop set up and have a nice leisurely brew but no 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 this is like building the gazebo making sure that because because of Nathan's uh, wheelchair access making sure that you know there's enough room and sometimes I remember one one club last season where I said um I need some chairs. Well, there's chairs in the score box. We're not in the score box. Once you saw the horde of people who needed to be seated mm-hmm. and under shelter, then that was all right. We got there in the end. Yeah. yeah. I got to one particular ground and the tables that were available weren't particularly suitable for me because I couldn't get my wheelchair underneath the table. There was a bar at the bottom of the table so I couldn't actually get my wheelchair underneath it. So I actually sent one of the many contingent of people to the nearest home base to buy me a portable table that I could just fold out so that I could drive underneath this table and it's still in the back of my van today so that if I get anywhere that's a problem I've just got this portable table that I can just fold out and get underneath. Very resourceful. I think one of the things as well with the disability cricket, I mean, we've spoken mostly about physical disability cricket because I think that's the the area that Nathan and I have done the most um, scoring for. Um, I have done a bit with the learning disability team as well. And, and it's just really nice that, you know, they come round and you, you get access to these games through um, normal normal clubs and playing they, they, they do a, a lot I should have been scoring a, an MCC game against the um, disability disabilities team combined disabilities team this summer obviously that's gone and it's you know you're able to access it from different points in the country it's all very open I mean I turned up as a 
completely unknown quantity, as you will, as a, obviously people had never met me before, John, and had obviously told them about my qualities as a scorer and recommended that I might be good to do the, to do the job as a scorer. But nobody actually knew me as a person, and yet mm. everybody, as soon as I turned up, hey, how are you? Can we do anything for you? Is everything all right? Have you got enough shelter? Have you got power? Have you got drinks? Can we get you anything to eat? You know, all that. Thing. And it's just such... It's so inclusive, like a, isn't it? It is. It's like a big family. family. It is. It is a, lovely. Yeah. Ian, Ian Martin, he's the head of, he's ECB, head of disability cricket at the base based at Lords. Um, and his operations manager, Neil Bradshaw, he, he looks after all things operational um, for all across all the disciplines. And Richard Hill, MBE, is their, um, their admin manager. And Richard does an awful lot of work. He's in a wheelchair himself. Mm-hmm. Um, and he does as well as the the four dis, four main disciplines of disability cricket. Richard's doing an awful lot of work um, locally and trying to roll it out nationally for things like clock cricket, walking cricket, dementia cricket, um, to make cricket open to everybody of from all walks of life, both as a, a, a form of exercise, but also mm. mental, mentally, a mental release to help, you know, especially with dementia and things mm. like that. Does a fab, they do, the team do a fabulous job and they're so friendly and so inclusive. It's just something that really, really excites me. I mean, I feel particularly strongly about it. Yeah, that may be because of my condition that maybe because you know I feel very close to it myself but I feel particularly strongly about it and I would also like to say that it's I don't want people to think that because they have a disability and they think it might be too severe for them to be involved please don't think that if you're listening to this somehow and you want to get involved there will be a way to get you involved I don't want people to miss out on the fact that it's amazing cricket you know and you will have an amazing day it it sounds a wonderful uh, type of cricket to be involved in. Very humbling. Um, but I, I do have one more question oh. uh, relating to the scoring side of it. You've talked about doing national tournaments. And my experience of, of national tournaments or the bigger tournaments is that at the end of the tournament, um, the umpires, um, the on-field umpires, third umpire, match referee, they all get called out um, onto the field, maybe to get some sort of memento of the game, but at least they get thanked. Did you get a mention? Yeah. Did yeah. you get? Yes, we did. We yes, did. We, we got, got our medals. medals. Yes. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful to hear. We were not only credited, we were thanked profusely for the work we'd done. And from all the teams, not just not just the official ceremony, they, all the teams. That, and going back to this inclusivity, it's not just in the UK that it's inclusive, it's the yeah. other countries as well. Um, I've got. <laughs> Uh, quite, a, I think, pretty much half of the Pakistani uh, disability team and a few of the Indians have, have made reached out and made contact with me on Facebook and uh, we're friends on Facebook and oh. it, it's it's amazing. It, it's just so family, isn't it? It's lovely. That's wonderful. There was a spinner who actually took 
five wickets in the final at New Road. And he actually came up to me in the score box after the game with the ball and said, would you please write my figures on the ball? Because I, I want to keep it and I want to display it and frame it. So <laughs> There's some really good stories on the ECB website, some documentaries and sort of little bios of some of the players, some there. It's really worth, really worth a look if you, you know, want to look into it. What we'll probably do then when this goes out is to, to on the Twitter feed um, that goes with it, put some, some links where people can look at yeah. things um, on the ECB website, hopefully. Well, okay. thank you both very much for uh, a fascinating uh, insight into uh, disability cricket. I've certainly Thanks. learned quite a lot f- from you there. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. So uh, I found that that quite fascinating uh, because I would never have thought that that the, these sort of people would have played the same regulations. I would have thought that somehow it would have been tweaked, but I, I am amazed at um, at these people playing the same regulations and to the standard that they play it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I scored a match. A few years ago now, it was the MCC versus the England deaf side and how they were able to call for runs or communicate that they were taking catches or where fielders were in the field. It's literally by sight and observation. Um, And there's different levels of hearing impediment. um, But it was, you know, it was quite interesting just to see how they do sort of slight modifications of the game to make it work for them. Um, but also it meant that they were really interested in what the score was and looking at the scorecard at the end, and they really did study it because you could sit there and shout, oh, yeah, you've got X amount of runs and X amount of runs, and this happened, or you got this wicket, where they would come over and literally would read the scorebook. So oh. you actually felt that day sort of quite sort of valued that your scorebook was being read, if that made sense. You weren't just shouting out some random numbers. Wow, that's really interesting. Lovely bunch, yeah. really well. And... Um, Thelma was telling me um, about some clips on the ECB website. Uh, so we'll put a link to at least one of those um, on our Twitter feed so that you can have a look and, and see the standard that these people play. Before we went to the interview, we were talking about some of the restrictions and local lockdowns that are affecting sort of cricket being played. Um, in England and to some extent Wales at the moment and I think um, Irish cricket is a little bit in and out in terms of its return Mm. as well Um, so I think it's something I know we've got a few listeners in the southern hemisphere things to be aware of and I hope it is helpful for when your season starts because I did see I was looking at some fixtures for Australia earlier for uh, the summer well the Australian summer season but over the sort of Christmas period um, to see what was happening and uh, yeah it might be interesting to see how that all progresses especially with some of the sort of challenging situations mm. in Victoria oh, and yeah. deep Melbourne at the moment so I hope everyone is well down there yeah yeah let's hope everybody can yeah, keep absolutely. safe and well yeah mm. and maybe then um they will be able to get cricket back on at certain times using uh the trials that that we've had over here and and some of the things that we've discovered hmm. yeah although we do need to adapt those fly nets and have them 
that they had in that Tri-Series tournament in South Africa <laughs> for our matches here because they were absolutely brilliant. We need to employ those. Now, funny you should bring those up because um, with the ball going out of play, I mean, that, that was to stop the ball from going out of play and from them having to get it back. But I've noticed just recently that um, the, you can't throw the ball back into people. Only the fielders can touch the ball. So when the ball goes out of play, I noticed today in my game, a couple of people that would have normally gone to get it were like, no, no, you can't go and help. It's got to be a player. Um, and also in the ODI, apparently, um, uh, my husband was watching it and he said that he saw the ball go into an empty stand where there are no spectators, but there was a photographer there and he went to get the ball to throw it back and then realised that he couldn't, uh, uh, yeah, and sat down and had to wait for a player to come off and get it. So Jules, you're right. It's going to save a lot of time if we had ball catchers with the nets. <laughs> <laughs> so last week, I believe that Producer Luke asked us a question. Um, would you like to repeat that question for us? I asked, um, Shannon Gabriel uh, went off partway through bowling a ball. Um, he ran in, but he didn't actually deliver the ball. Um, and I asked how that was dealt with, whether it counted as a ball and how that got sort of written down, if at all. Um, and also how you dealt with the change of bowler midway through and over. That's a good question, Luke. Um, in that situation, even though the ball is technically live when he starts his run-up, it's only going to be the completed deliveries that would count. So if he's running up to deliver his third delivery and goes off, then it would count as two balls bowled. Uh, another bowler would complete his over uh, from that end. So you would end up with two bowlers uh, with a point two and a point four at the end of the over. So I, I wouldn't record that delivery at all. You wouldn't even make a note of it, would you? No, agreed. But I would... Because it, it essentially didn't happen. I would probably expect the umpire to signal dead ball to me, though, to, to tell me that that doesn't count. I don't know whether that happened in in that particular incident. Yes, agreed. You, you, you should, we should probably expect a, uh, a dead ball signal. I don't think anything happened in that situation. No, okay. Because uh, obviously, because he tried to run in, in the instant that Luke is uh, explaining, I think the, uh, Shannon actually tried to run in twice, uh, started his run up and, uh, and g- gave up both times. Right. So it became quite clear that he was uh, unable to continue. I mean, it was quite clear from the second test. <laughs> absolutely or even the first one but <laughs> so in order for a player to take over from another bowler to finish the over if you're using play cricket score a pro um, that's quite easy if you change the bowler mid over uh, the software asks you if you want to change the bowler for the whole over or part of an over, because it may just be that you didn't notice that there was a change of bowler at the beginning of the over, and if you change it midway through, you can say, yeah, no, that's for the entire over, it was my mistake. Or in this particular instance, if you change the bowler, if you say, no, I don't want to do it for the entire over, it would do it, as Brian says, for point two and then a further point four. And something to bear in mind if you're doing a one-day game, of course, that would account for one over bowled, for each of the bowlers, 
So the number of bowlers, no number of overs bowled, won't necessarily add up to the amount that have been completed in that situation. Don't start him on his one on his point seven. He's one point one again. <laughs> but for those of you that are out there doing a box style scorebook, um, you need to leave some space in the box of the second bowler where the original deliveries would have been. So if there were two from the first bowler, then you leave a gap in the bowling box of the second bowler um, so that those spaces are empty and you carry on the over as though those entries were there. So if you took the two bowling boxes and overlaid one over the top of the other, they would make a whole over. Does that make sense? Makes perfect sense, Sue. Good question, though. Thank you, Luke. I've actually got a question. It is a good question. I've got a question stemming on from that. So I had a situation in a game last weekend where the ball was bowled and then they did the dead ball signal. What do you do then? They actually delivered the ball. Yeah. Did they run? Yes, they did. Yeah, he did. And did the batsmen go back to the their original ends? Yes, which was a shock for us to be that awake. Okay. Do we want to hold... That shouldn't have happened. No, no, it should. Uh, I'm quite happy okay. with that. But do you want to then hold that as the question for next week? What do we think happened? I think that's a really good question. Good question, because it really depends on what on what occurred as to what you put down, yeah. really, doesn't it? So that... The, come back to this next week but in the meantime if you have any ideas as to what happened um, in that scenario then um, do get in contact with us you can email us at cricketscorersuntallied at gmail.com you can contact us on twitter using our twitter handle at cricketscorers1 um, so do get in contact and tell us what you think happened in Jules's game. Um, and we'll talk about that next week. So on that note, um, thank you very much for listening. Um, and I'm going to say goodbye from me, Sue. Uh, how about goodbye from Brian? Goodbye. Uh, and Jules? Goodbye. Hopefully tune in again this time next week.